Have you ever taken on a challenge so big, so daunting, so intimidating, that it's not just your friends looking at you like you're maybe a little bit out of your mind, but you yourself are questioning your decision? Of course you have. We all have. Which is why we all have half-finished projects around the house, half-written books on our computer, for the slightly less motivated, even half-watched series on Netflix that were abandoned when things got a little slow. Great ideas that were left behind when we realized how impossibly difficult they were going to be. Trouble is, quitting becomes a whole lot more difficult when you're miles from shore, bobbing in the middle of the English Channel. This is a Hamilton Spectator podcast. I'm Scott Radley. This is The Swimmer and The Swim. The separation zone sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, maybe something from a dystopian Margaret Atwood novel, or more accurately, a relationship status on your Facebook account. The truth, a little less exciting. The English Channel is one of the busiest shipping routes in the world. Something like 500 ships pass through the waterway every day. A live online shipping map looks like a radar image of the 401 at rush hour through Toronto. Ships heading north towards Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, or even through the North Sea to Norway or Sweden must stay on the French side. Ships bearing south with a target of France, Spain, Portugal, Africa, or even North America, they're to stay closer to England. And running right down the middle, like a double line on a liquid highway, that's the separation zone. A watery DMZ, a safe area, a buffer, to prevent nautical accidents like the series of significant incidents in 1971 in thick fog that led to the creation of the Traffic Separation Scheme, TSS for short. This protected area is also the halfway point for a swim across the historic waterway. Here, on this spot, you're 20 kilometers out with 20 kilometers to go, give or take the whims of the tides. It's a cause for celebration, and a cause for panic. A spot where, I've made it this far, collides with, I have to do that same amount again? This beautiful and terrible spot is where Lauren King found himself on the afternoon of August 12th. Yeah, it's cold, it's kind of miserable, but you know, I've trained for this and I, I, this is within kind of rough expectations. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be cold and miserable, but okay, I can do this. That's him. The 51-year-old is a politics professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. His wife is a biology and genetics prof at McMaster. He's not a professional athlete. A hobbyist is what he calls himself, a swimmer in his free time. Yet here he was bobbing around in the middle of an unforgiving waterway, six hours already down, six left to go. Even he admits he was having to argue with himself to keep going at this point. Why was he here at all? He'd started swimming for real as a boy. He was maybe eight or nine when he joined the Hamilton Wentworth Aquatic Club and kept at it for years. Until? I grew to hate swimming. I, I had a really? shoulder injury and I, I wasn't especially disciplined. I would be one of those co- swimmers that coaches describe as having a bad attitude. <laughs> Yep. Hated it. So he quit. 
Oh, he swam for fun and lifeguarded. He didn't avoid the water. He just didn't seek it out. As he grew into an adult, he found rock climbing. For 20 years, the water was a friend, but only casually. It was while studying in Baltimore with his wife that he saw something called the Great Chesapeake Bay Swim. It was a long swim that follows one of the elevated bridges that crosses that famous bay. Oddly, he was intrigued, enough that he thought he might try it someday. He never did, but it got him back in the pool. When he returned to Hamilton, the idea of swimming here like he'd seen there, that just never resonated. And, uh... I grew up in Hamilton area, Ancaster. I swam again in Hamilton, so I was down here a lot. But I, the lakes weren't part of our imagination. We weren't really thinking, hey, let's go swim in the lake. We, they were gross. Yeah, you know, we thought of them as working lakes, right? This is Hamilton Harbor, right? I grew up on the harbor, and you wouldn't swim there. So it was a surprise to come back and, and realize not only do people swim here regularly, but the, the lakes are better than they've been in generations. In time, he decided he'd give lake swimming a go, which is how he ended up in Bright's Grove. That's the home of golfer Mike Weir, where he eased into the lake and did a four-kilometer course. King doesn't remember a ton about it, other than the fact that he earned a McDonald's gift card. That he remembers. And with what came next, you might think this was his epiphany. The moment he realized long-distance swimming was his calling. The instant his mind opened to the wonderful world of seemingly going forever into the open water. You'd be wrong. It was fun. It was just neat to be in the lake. It, it wasn't as if I suddenly realized, you know, what I'm doing all my life. I have to be a marathon swimmer. Uh, and, I, you know, I still am not one of these people, and I'm not sure how many of us really are. Even as he started doing more and more events, he sounds like he remained somewhat reluctant to commit completely and a little torn about the whole thing. I don't sort of get in and think, ah, oh, this is you know, the best thing on earth, the best thing. And it hurts, and it's often cold, and <laughs> challenging conditions. On the other hand, there are moments where, you know, it's peaceful. You're just reflecting on being out in this vast body of water, and, I mean, it's almost meditative. meditative. Still, he did some 10Ks, then a longer one in Boston Harbor, then in 2016, a crossing of Lake Ontario. Plenty of folks swim laps at the Y. That's, that's not nothing, but Lake Ontario is the big time. If there were any doubts of his commitment now, they were gone. Pain, discomfort, fatigue, he was the master of all of them. Touching the shore of Toronto was exhilarating, deeply emotional. Here's the trouble with that, though. To those who participate in long-distance swimming events or ultra-marathon races or a variety of other endurance challenges... No success seems sufficient. Reaching one goal doesn't lead to long-lasting satisfaction. Rather, it opens the door to the next, bigger, harder, more impossible target. It's like tattoos. Once you get one, you'll get more. That's what they all say. Calling it an addiction? Well, that may be too strong a word. Calling it a compulsion? Maybe. King admits that within days of each event, his brain buries the misery he felt, and soon he only remembers the good parts. And there is misery. Ask King about the grind, and he'll say stuff like, this is horrible. This is foolish. I'm never going to do this again. And, almost immediately, he starts planning the next one. One that's just as we said, bigger, harder, 
more daunting. So what follows Lake Ontario? Two hours after exiting the separation zone, he was feeling it. In the water since 9 a.m. when he set out from a beach at Dover, it was now mid-afternoon, and he'd already completed thousands of strokes and innumerable kicks. He was cold, the 17-degree water, about 20 degrees below even a chilly backyard pool, was difficult to take without a wetsuit. His shoulder was hurting, his hips were racked with brutal cramps, his tongue was swollen from being constantly covered in salt water. I think there was concern. That's his brother, Andrew. He was in the pilot boat as part of the crew. They're close, so it made sense. You know, I think I don't have any expertise. I'm the first, you know, I don't have any special skill or expertise, and it's a pretty easy job. He does all the work and the calculations, but, uh, you know, I, I like to think there's an element of trust, uh, you know, in family that, uh, that puts him at ease with me there. But physical struggles, as he pointed out, weren't the worst of it. Behind you, you turned your head, you could see this wall of dark clouds just approaching. You could see it coming up the channel and, and that dark, dark cloud and, uh, and, and just slowly, and it wasn't even that slowly, but you could just see it overtaking us as it came. So yeah, I'm sure you could see that. I think breathing each time as well. seemingly carrying him away from the finish line, he started to have doubts. Deep doubts. The kind that make a man stop believing in himself and quit something he desperately wants to do, even after eight hours of exertion with just four to go. Just being relative, of course. I mean, this year I was very nervous. Yes, this year, because this was not the first time. In 2018, in July, he'd set out to cross the channel. Did not go well. He hadn't expected the water to be so cold. His diet hadn't been right leading up to it. His training might not have been bang on. Marilyn Korzekwa knows what he's talking about. She's a long-distance swimmer with many of the world's toughest tests on her resume, including the English Channel. So the Hamilton psychiatrist knows a bit about suffering, particularly here. For me, uh, it was at night when it was cold, and, uh, you know, you're just right on the edge of shivering, and that's a very unpleasant place to be, and you really don't, you really don't want to stay there, but you have to stay there for the however many dozen hours it's going to take you to get across. During King's first try, the weather was a little warmer then, and the water was a little calmer, but that only allowed the jellyfish to float to the surface. Within the first hour, he'd been stung three times. His brother says it was a miracle he stayed in the water at all. 
he, he had some issues early on, like around three hours or something like that. And, you know, I, I said at the time, I was hugely impressed. He pushed on for, he pushed on for well over an hour, you know, when you could see he was in some distress, right? And afterwards we talked to him, you know, I mean, I mean he had cramps and, and uh, you know, muscle issues. He had jellyfish things. So, you know, it, it, we kind of... I didn't know he was going to stop, but he certainly was 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 in some. Uh, it was struggling for an hour or so. Four and a half hours into his attempt, before he even hit the separation zone, he pulled the plug. He might have been able to go a little further that day, but he knew he wouldn't make France. So what's the point? Rather than dissuade him, though, he went home, regrouped, came up with a new plan, and got at it. He'd swim every day, either at Laurier over lunch or at McMaster during a late night open swim sometimes both. He'd find discount flights and get to the ocean as often as he could to acclimatize himself to the water temperatures. If it sounds a little self-indulgent, hey, he's said those exact words with a wife and three kids writing lectures, grading papers, driving back and forth to Waterloo and whatever else he chooses to cram into his days. It is a lot of me time. And at a cost of four or five thousand dollars to do it, it's not cheap either. He even decided this time he had to change his body to fatten up to create a long-distance swimmer's ideal build. Even in the water, he made sure he was eating. Every half hour, his crew on board the pilot boat would throw him something to down and something to drink. Still, between the storm and the pain and the hours remaining, his mind was battling with itself. That old cartoon image of the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other couldn't be more accurate. His body was saying, quit. His mind was saying, keep going. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. He gave himself one hour to get back to feeling some sort of normal, or he was going to call it a day. King would try to clear his head, because it helped if he could. Thinking about how much time was left was not helpful. Thinking about the discomfort, that didn't make things easier either. Some swimmers count their strokes to achieve some kind of zen. One engineer that King knows does math problems in his head. Some sing, not audibly, mind you. What did he think about? He doesn't remember. It's weird, because with all this time you'd think something would come to mind. Not really. Save for noticing the beautiful vista on the horizon now and then. But the internal battle just wouldn't stop, which all led to a lengthy negotiation with himself. It's odd, you're wrestling with, I guess these two stories in your head about how this is going to go like how am I going to describe to myself how am I going to you know, tell the story of, of what happened here and yeah you try to imagine the negative story that I can't believe I stopped after eight hours but maybe that's twice as far as I got last time or me uh, you think about how you would rationalize it and then but then as you're doing that you're sort of thinking well what about the other story where I just I keep going and I push past this. When did that end? He has no idea. But before long, he could clearly see the French coastline. He'd already submitted his passport to the authorities so he could come ashore without running afoul of immigration. Now he just had to get there. And now he had the tides to contend with. Every six hours, there's a swell of water in and out of the channel. It's the same thing that happens at the Bay of Fundy or San Francisco Bay. Trouble is, no human is powerful enough to cut through them. So a straight line? Impossible. 
a straight-ish line becomes the goal. The first push in the morning sends the swimmers south. The second drives them back north again. By the third time, by tide number three, he could see where he was going. He just couldn't let himself get too excited about it because the water wouldn't let him. While you are swimming towards it, you're also being pulled by the tide down the French coast. Uh, so it does look like it's getting closer because as you're being pulled down the coast, Calais is sort of looks like it's coming out to meet you. Now, if if you're still in the water after 12 hours, then it's very depressing apparently, or you just have to get your head in this space because then it looks like you're still moving forward, but because the tide is pulling you back up, it looks like France is kind of receding from you. It's not because the pilot is sort of pulling you in, <laughs> but often you're on one side of the boat and you can't see the fact that you, know, you are actually getting closer. The history of this crossing is long and it's complicated. The first person ever to make it across was a 27-year-old named Matthew Webb back in 1875. His first try, 134 years to the day of King's swim, was a failure. But a few days later, he breaststroked his way across while slathered in porpoise oil. His success brought him immense fame, so much that a statue of him still stands in Dover. Sadly, he died eight years later when he came to Canada and tried to recapture more fame by trying to swim through the Whirlpool Rapids at Niagara Falls. The English Channel, Marilyn Bell did it. Vicki Keith did it. Future Ontario MPP Cynthia Nicholas did it 19 times, including five two-way crossings. Corzequa was the most recent Hamiltonian back in 2011. People compare it to Mount Everest all the time, and you know, they're been far fewer people from the English Channel than have climbed Mount Everest. How many others have made it since Webb? It's impossible to know. The numbers are in the thousands. You know, I don't know what their statistics are, but they're kind of in the neighborhood of one in three, one in four make it. These days, two different organizations chart completed crossings. They have strict rules for safety and to make sure a crossing is a legitimate crossing. How strict are the rules? If someone assists you out of the water, then all that swim is for nothing. That counts as an, an assisted swim. And it's not official. <laughs> so if someone, if you are 10 so, feet into the water. So let's say, yeah, I'm waist deep and a charming French family sees me off the beach and thinks, oh, that poor fellow who's come, come ashore, let's go help him up. As soon as they put their hands on and actually pull me forward, uh, that's, that swim is over. Uh, that's an assisted swim and you've broken the rules. <laughs> but rules about beach landings don't matter if you don't reach the beach. By this point though, there was beginning to be little doubt. You know, for sort of that last hour, once everyone on boat was confident, you know, like, like, look, we're, we're finishing this. You know, the, uh, the pilot had music going, the, uh, the captain, the, uh, the uh, first mate were, you know, singing along with, uh, with old 70s tunes. So it was a, a definite sort of uh, relaxed atmosphere. As for King himself, there was no way he was going to let himself not make it. It really didn't even bother him when the first jellyfish stung. Just made him forget the cold, he chuckles. He just had to figure out how to fight the tides and currents and get to shore, preferably at one particular spot. 
Cap Grinet is said to be the closest point to England in all of France. But that's not why he was aiming here. The tiny town was liberated by Canadian soldiers from the 3rd Canadian Infantry Division in September 1944. That's an amazing bit of history. But that's not why either. Some friends who knew of King Swim said they would be there when he finished. Trouble is, with those currents, you could end up almost anywhere from Calais to the other side of Cap Grinet, a span of nearly 50 kilometers. The chances things would work out were incredibly small. Yet as he strode out of the water, as dusk was settling over the French cliffs, there they were, standing, cheering, not touching him till he was well away from the channel's edge, and offering champagne, though he couldn't stand the thought of tasting it without thinking he'd become violently ill. But he had done it. In 12 hours and 2 minutes, he had made it. 11 and a half hours faster than Vicky Keith, though she butterflied her way across. 10 hours faster than Webb, the first guy to do it. And two and a half hours faster than Canadian legend Marilyn Bell. <laughs> 